Thank you, Andrea. That was beautiful. And uh, the testimony of her life is beautiful, too. I hope you'll take a chance to get to know her a little more. And uh, know that uh, dance was her everything. And I guess the question today is, what is your everything? And uh, I believe that Jesus asked for our everything. And uh, last Sunday, Jason hit it out of the park, talking about God's generosity towards us. And that we are all the, the man, the woman hired at the 11th hour. We're all very undeserving. And uh, he has been very generous to us in Christ Jesus. And uh, today is, is a switch. It's changing. Begin looking at what is our response to a generous God. And, uh, of course, uh, some of the things I'm going to talk about today, there'll be um, those verses uh, I have written out in a weekly Bible study. It's a daily reading. Uh, week two is back there in the back. We, we make sure we got both boxes back there so we don't run out. And uh, we ran out last Sunday. But uh, speaking of um, so the, a- Andrea and just uh, her testimony, this past Saturday, I want just want to say thank you for the generosity of this church. Uh, you may not all know it, but uh, this past Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago, uh, because of the generosity of this church, uh, Elevate, uh, which is a program of the Highland City Center, had an open house. Over 200 people came. 75 students were enrolled in, in uh, trying out various activities and skills and hobby type things. And, um, and parents were along with those 75 kids. And we saw a lot of faces uh, that are from our city that don't belong here. Of course, Maggie and Brittany and some others really helped with that by getting some flyers out to public schools and things like that. And, uh, but the reason that Elevate can offer such uh, affordable classes is because uh, this church offers the use of the building for free to the Highland City Center and the Elevate programs. And so I want to thank you for your generosity. It's something that we do hand-in-hand as a church. Uh, it's uh, two sides of the coin, uh, one side being the church, uh, Christ to church here, and with the city center, it's church to city. And uh, again, you can learn more about that some other time. But uh, today, I want to look at uh, faith like Abraham and the idea of altering your life, A-L-T-A-R, altering your life. Uh, just want There's a little story here I just want to share with you. Uh, there once was a man who heard Jesus' words and, and come follow me. And he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus told him, well, then give me all you have and come follow me. So the man was like, oh, okay, well, pulled out his wallet and here's all the cash I got. There you go, Jesus. And, and uh, that's all I have. And, uh, and then Jesus looked at him, but that's all you have? Was, well, I do have a checking and a savings account. And then Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll take that too. And I said, okay, well, all right, I'll, I, I want to follow you. I'll, I'll give that to you. And, uh, and then he said, but Jesus, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, you know, all I have left is my IRA. And Jesus said, oh, you got one of those? I'll take that also. You can sign that over to me. Oh, okay. Well, Jesus, I'm, I, I'm willing to do that. I just don't know how I'm going to take care of the bills for my house and and, uh, and the payment on my car. Oh, you have a house and a car? Well, you can sign the titles over for me to me on, on your house and your car. 
okay, Lord, well, all right, I'll, I'll sign those over. But, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, take care of my wife and my children now. You have a wife and children? You can give them to me also. And then the man is, you know, looking at Jesus. Jesus, I've given you everything. All I have is, is the shirt on my back. Jesus looks at him with a little grin and says, I'll take that too. It's okay, Lord. And, uh, and, the, and at that moment, and I, the man says, well, you know, you have it all. You know, you have me, you have everything I have. And Jesus says, good. Now that I have you and all that, that you have, there's something that I, I want you to do for me. You see, I, I got this uh, checking and savings account and IRA that I need someone to take care of. Would you take care of that for me? And I also have a house and a car, and, uh, and, and, and I have a, there's this wife and some children. I was wondering if you would take care of them for me. Oh, and also uh, this shirt. It's mine, but would you take care of it? Uh, I might need those things back from you at any time, but for the meantime, would you take care of them for me? And let's get to it. Follow me. Luke fourteen thirty three. It says, If we're not willing to give up everything, we cannot be his disciples. This is the call and the connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has given everything to us. He has committed everything to us. And he desires us in return to commit everything to him. You know, this verse, uh, Luke 14, 33, it comes at the end of two uh, parables uh, where Jesus is talking about a man who's trying to build a tower and will he estimate enough to build it? And, and then there's an army. Is he going to have enough to face the, the, the enemy to battle? And, uh, and so as he... Uh, says these stories, you know, we could kind of begin to think that the point of the stories is, you know, about being a good bean counter. But really, this verse is at the end of the story. See, the point of the story isn't, are you a good estimator and planner and a bean counter? The point of the story is, are you willing to give everything it takes to go after Jesus? That is the point of the stories. Are you willing to lay down everything for Him? Well, in the next few moments, I'm, I'm going to be sharing quite a bit of, of Scripture, a bit of teaching. But I, what I don't want you to lose sight of is the story of Abraham that I'm going to be coming to and Jesus' call to believers to give up everything to follow Him. This is a, a wild, extravagant, prodigal-type generosity that Jesus calls poor widows and rich young rulers and unruly fishermen to all participate in. And today what I'm talking about is a generosity that is expressed by altering your life. What, and what opposes us from pursuing this and going all out is fear. It's fear. And what it needs to be replaced with is faith. And so today I am praying, Lord Jesus, would you remove the chains of fear? Would you take them off? And Lord, would you replace it with faith? And would you release these people, release faith within them? I pray this in Jesus' name.
You know, I don't know what these little sticks are over here. I, I just saw them uh, before I came up here. They, it looks like... Is this some sort of rhythm instrument or something? Or, what, or is this like a weapon? It looks like some sort of beat stick or something. This is what I was thinking. Somebody probably thought I brought this to be an example, and I'm going to beat people down with a message today. And that's not the case. This isn't a a talk about how much you should give. You know, some people, I I feel like we kind of look at it like the government, you know. Uh, Government says, you're supposed to give this back to us. And we call that a tax. It's not really giving, is it? We, we're required to do that. And I think sometimes people, we view the same thing with God. We, we view this a response of generosity back to Him as something that we have to do. It's required of us. Like it's a tax. It's not. It's not. Yeah, I, Abraham... Listen to the testimony of Abraham. Abraham was called to leave everything. His family, his, uh, his country, everything that was familiar to go to a place that he did not know at all. It's kind of, uh, there's one commentator, Matthew Henry, who says that Abraham was called to leave his father and then later, later to leave his son. You know where I'm going with the story. Sue just told it to you, but... Um, and so he goes. He goes with all his servants and, and, and herds. And, and he's got one nephew, Lot, who comes along with him. And uh, there's a point where Lot settles in a different place. And then uh, there's, a, there's a terrible thing that happens. There's five kings that band together. And they form a raiding party. And they sweep down and they kidnap uh, everyone that's in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas. And they take the herds and the people. And so Lot and his family are kidnapped. And uh, first, as soon as Abraham hears about it, he gathers up his uh, servants, arms them, and he goes after this raiding band of kings and their servants. And and, uh, he shows up and he defeats them, rescues Lot and his family and and a whole bunch of other people he rescues, and uh, comes back with the spoils of war, basically. Has all these things. And some people... uh, Look at this next moment uh, as, a, as an example of tithing, but I just want to say it's not. Um, Abraham comes back with the spoils of war, and there's this mysterious man named Melchizedek that comes out. And uh, he's the king of Salem, which means peace, and Melchizedek means righteousness. And, he's, and Salem is really another short and abbreviated word for Jerusalem. And so he's, and he's a priest of the Most High God. So he's a king and a priest. And, uh, and he comes out, and Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils of war, which is interesting. And so, uh, but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, you look, look later, this is before the law was ever given, any kind of law uh, that God told his people about giving. And uh, so this is before there was such a thing as called a tithe, which is 10%. And, uh, and so later, in the, you look in the law in Numbers, uh, it says that uh, it was spoils of war, that uh, God wanted one five-hundredth given to the high priest and one-fiftieth to the Levites. So Abraham kind of goes overboard with this giving. I mean, and, and there's, no, there's none of this has ever been written or talked about yet. The Levites don't even exist. They're Abraham's future descendants. So 
The point of the story is not tithing. The point of the story is that there's someone greater besides Abraham. And Abraham is the lesser giving to the greater. That's the point of the story. And he gives generously and abundantly. The point of the story is not tithing. There's another mention of what people say is tithing before the law comes. This with Jacob. Very interesting. Uh, Jacob uh, is, is a bit of a rascal, uh, a scoundrel, in fact. He's just cheated his brother out of his birthright and his blessing from his father. And is on his run because his brother Esau wants to kill him now. And while he's on his run, he is out camping out on his way to uh, a distant relative. And uh, while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And God, in the dream, comes to him and says, You know the promise that I made to your grandfather Abraham? I'm going to pass on to you. That blessing is for you also. And, uh, and Jacob wakes up from the dream. And, you know, this blessing of Abraham is great. And, but I think there's something with Jacob. He doesn't really believe it. Because Jacob uh, then kind of gives this manipulative offer to God. He says, if, if God, you will be with me and watch over me on the journey I'm taking and will give me food and to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then you'll be my God. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. It's, it's, it's an act of, of trying to manipulate God. He's making a deal with God. It, it wasn't anything with faith. It was Jacob working out of fear, not really believing that God's promise was for him. If you give me this and that, then I'll call you my God and I'll give you a tenth. It's bargaining. It's a bargaining trying to ensure what God has promised will really happen because Jacob is high on street smarts but low on faith. Now, you can read further about Jacob, and when he comes back, he's a different man. And in fact, he has an encounter with God that changes him where he becomes a man of faith. But have you ever thought that tithing was a deal with God? Have you mistakenly thought that giving to God and His church will somehow ensure His promise of eternal life to you? Did you know that tithing doesn't add anything to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? Nothing at all. You can't do anything to sweeten the deal or make his promises of life more sure other than to simply believe and grow in your faith. That's it. Look, when I I read the scriptures, I don't believe God has given a universal, eternal law of tithing, especially for those who live by faith under the new covenant with Jesus Christ. You know, even when you do look at the law that was given to the Hebrew people, I think that people miss the spirit in trying to obey it. I mean, even these examples are before law and it's people of faith and uh, or Abraham's a person of faith, that that example. But even when you come to the law and look at the example of when God actually commands giving, we get it all wrong. And people today get it wrong. The Jewish people got it all wrong. But originally, if you read the scriptures and what what was shared there, it's very interesting. Listen to the spirit of it. In Deuteronomy 14, they uh, bring their tithe to the temple. 
It's 10% of all they made, all they produce. They live in an agricultural society, so that's herds and flocks and sheep and uh, grain and fruit and vegetables and all this. And so they're bringing it. Uh, and if it's too much to carry, if they live too far away, God says convert it to cash and then bring it and come to uh, the temple. And while you're there at the temple, then uh, buy whatever it is that you need for offering the tithe. Buy cattle, sheep, wine, whatever. And then he says, says this. He says, And sit down and eat and drink in the presence of the Lord and rejoice. Do you know that they took part, that that they ate and celebrated with part of the tithe that they gave to God? That they, they enjoyed part of the tithe that was given to God? You know, and, and then the Lord adds to this, hey, don't forget the Levites, the immigrants, and the orphans, and the widows, and make sure that there's a special tithe given to them so they can join in. God's throwing a feast with the tithe. You know, what is given to God is also enjoyed by the people. They partake in some of it. And I mean, they probably couldn't eat all of their tithe, but, but here's the thought. Isn't that the way when we give in faith? Isn't that really what happens when we give in faith, when we release what we once had, that we actually feel good, that we enjoy it? We enjoy giving. And there's something about it that is wonderful. That is a celebration. Think about the times when we practice giving in this country. It's marked as celebrations, isn't it? There's eating and there's feasting. Giving of gifts. We enjoy it. Rejoice in the Lord. And I think this is the attitude of generosity that our God is looking for. A faith that says there will be enough for everyone, not a fear that says I've got to hold on because things are scarce. And here's what I'm driving at. I don't think Jesus is looking for a bunch of bean counters, carefully measuring out 10% of everything, but he's looking for an all or nothing, extravagant, generous, extravagant people who are willing to put their everything on the altar. I want to go back to Abraham, the one called the father of faith, and see this first model of giving that Jesus comes and exemplifies and calls us to. Abraham has promised descendants in his old age. When he's first given his promise, he's 75 years old. His wife is 10 years younger, 65. And Abraham believes God. He believes that this is possible, that he's going to have descendants. And while he's waiting, he has some wobbly faith moments. We call him the father of faith, but I want you to know that Abraham had some wobbly faith moments. There are some moments where I think fear was trying to get him. So, in in bringing this before you, I want want you to know that I know that all of us have wobbly faith moments. We know what God has said, but, but we get a little scared, a little nervous. And so I want you to know it's okay. And, and, and there's a point, a wobbly point of faith, where he takes his wife's suggestion that God's promise might need some help. So instead of plan A, trust God, they, they decide to do plan B, let's help God with his plan. <laughs> and, and in fact, uh, you know, the plan is, is, you know, Sarah suggests to Abraham, why don't you sleep with my servant Hagar? And, you know, I'm sure Abraham's going, is this, is this a trick? Are you testing me, uh, my wife? Uh, what's going on here? And uh, But anyway, they, they decide to help God, and they do this. And, and when Hagar has, gives birth, God says, no, this is not the child of the promise. The child is going to come from your own body. And so it's almost 25 years after God has originally made the promise, and Abraham is starting to think, 
I don't know if I have what it takes. I mean, I'm almost 100 years old. My wife is 90 years old. I don't think we have what it takes to have a child. Do you ever wonder with what God has called you to and asked you to do? You ever have a moment where you start to wonder, do I have what it takes? Can I do what God actually asked me to do? I'm a little scared. And in that moment, Abraham, he offers his, his most trusted servant, who's been like a son, but isn't his son. And he says here, build a nation through my servant. Let, let the promise come through him. I'll offer him to you. And God says, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. It's going to happen through you and Sarah. And then God makes it happen. Abraham at 100, Sarah at 90, and the child that God gives them brings them laughter. And they call him Isaac. He is their joy. He is the representation of all God has promised them. It's where all their future hopes lie. It's in this son named Isaac, named laughter. And Isaac was everything to them. Everything. And then God does the unthinkable. He asks for everything. He asks for Isaac. Take your son and offer him as a sacrifice to me. I mean, how could God ask back for what he had given them? How could God, after all that time of waiting for this promise to arrive, how could God then end the promise like this? I mean, this is what the heathen nations around them do, sacrificing children to false gods. How could God ask them of this? I mean, they left their homeland. They left their family. Isaac was everything that they had. Why would God ask for everything? But he did. And so Abram travels three days up to a mountain to give away everything dear to him. It looked like death. But then God intervened saying, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And then God causes a ram to get his horns caught in a thicket. And Abraham takes the ram and sacrifices it instead of his son. And then Abraham names the place where all this happens. And what does he name it? I made a deal with God. No, he didn't name it that. Did he name it, uh, if I do this for you, God, will you do this for me? No, he didn't name it that. He didn't even name it, the Lord has provided. He named it, the Lord will provide. Present tense. As in always, the Lord will provide. In the instance where God asks for everything, God provides. You know, we don't know the thoughts in Abraham's head as he climbed that mountain ready to give everything, ready to give his very heart away, but... The writer of Hebrews tells us this, that there was faith in Abraham. And maybe we hear a little bit of it when Isaac asks his father, Father, there's wood, wood for the fire, there's stones to build the altar, but where's, where's the sacrifice? 
And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham just resolved in his mind that if God was asking him of this, then God was just going to have to raise Isaac from the dead. And that's why Abraham is the father of faith. And today, Jesus calls us to that same kind of faith. Jesus calls his disciples, and they walk away from their fishermen's nets. They walk away from their livelihood. He calls Matthew, the tax collector, and he walks away from his money-changing table. Jesus calls the rich young ruler, sell everything and follow me. Peter and the disciples who are looking on at what Jesus does with the rich young ruler, they they turn to him and say, well, Jesus, we've left everything for you. And then Jesus tells him that because you've done that, you'll receive a hundred times as much in heaven. And Jesus tells his followers, if that they love their family more than him, they cannot be his disciples And he finishes the thought by saying, saying, any of you who does not give up everything he he has cannot be my disciple. Alter your life. What is your everything? God is asking you to put it on the altar. When Jesus says, come, follow me, he is saying, put your everything on the altar. Alter your life. Give it up to him. When you came to Jesus Christ, He purchased your life with His very blood. You and everything you are and have belong to Him. And we want to quibble about 10%. Look, I, I don't believe that as Christ followers under the new covenant that we are required to give 10%. There, are, and, and I know in saying that, there are some people here saying in their head, Shannon, you just put the nail in the coffin for this church. Nobody's going to give now. I don't believe that's true. That's a fear statement. It's not a faith statement. What I'm trying to do is speak from conviction of what I believe is true from the Scriptures, and that is that Jesus and His Gospel sets you free from fear to operate by faith. And I have given everything for the sake of Jesus and His church, and if the truth ends up killing or sacrificing the church, then so be it. Because God can resurrect churches just like He can resurrect people. Today, what I'm doing is I am praying that God will release faith. That we are to live by faith, not law and not by fear. And the big idea today is that Jesus doesn't want just 10%. He wants everything. Everything. Well, how do I give everything, Shannon? I mean, I think my heart is there. I want to give my everything to Jesus. Remember Abraham. The Lord will provide. Look, you know, the instructions from the apostles on giving. And and I think Sue did a marvelous job on on giving everything, explaining that, showing that. I think the little story I shared at the beginning is is a bit of what we do when we give everything. But, you know, when we're we're talking about maybe our actual, our possessions, and, and, and I do, it's like, I, I want to give them up. I want, to, I want to give them up. How do I do that? Well, listen to the instructions from the apostles. It's not very complicated at all. And, and here, there are two basic ones I just want to share with you today. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart. 
You're going to have to make a decision. You have to choose. I, I think it is a good idea to think about in a percentage-wise what you're going to give and then just stick with it. Do it, whatever it is. I believe it's good to make that decision. But again, don't look at it like some sort of tax because if you are, then you're not doing it as a cheerful giver. You've got to figure out how to do this and do it with a heart that's willing because if you can't do that, it's not really a gift, is it? It's a tax. So you, you've, you've, got to, you've got to talk to God about this. And, and there's the scary question that we all have to ask. And the question is, Lord, what do you want me to give to you? Some of us don't want to ask that question. We'd rather just stick with, I think I'm going to stick with 10%. I think that sounds really safe right now. Because if I ask God what he would have me to give, I'm, I'm afraid of what he might tell me. But it's a question I believe we all have to ask. If we're going to learn how to give cheerfully, to give in such a way that's not under compulsion or reluctantly, but to give in a way that we say we rejoice in the Lord. And Lord, I'm rejoicing in what I'm giving to you today. Another instruction from the apostles where earlier we were told in 1 Corinthians 16 two, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Doesn't lay out any percentages. Doesn't say you should give this amount. Just says that you should set aside some. On the first day of the week, Sunday, bring it, offer it, give it to God. Now there's a, there's a question there too, is giving to your church really giving to God? We'll talk about that next week. Talk about where your heart is, where your treasure is. But everyone participates. This, this was the idea that the apostles were giving. Everyone participates whether you have a little or a lot. Paul, when speaking of the extravagant giving of the Macedonians, he says it like this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. There's a couple of things there. One is that they gave out of their poverty. You know, Sherry and I, we have tithed, and, not tithed, but we've given. We've decided in our hearts what to give, and we've given at different times. We've given when we've had not very much. We've given when I haven't had a job. We've given when times are tough. We've given when we had debt. We would still give. Everyone can participate in giving, in giving something with a cheerful heart. The second thing in that verse is that, is that they gave themselves first to the Lord. And this is where we come back to the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you can give or you can give cheerfully unless you give yourself first to God. And so that I think there has to be a, a first things first that happens. You know, I... I want to call this church to that same kind of faith. I want to call you to give yourselves fully to the Lord. One of our values, full devotion to Jesus Christ. How do you get that full devotion? It's not something that you work up to. It's something you surrender. Something that you give to God and say, Lord, I give you everything. 
Everything God committed to Abraham and everything Abraham committed to God. And there was no fear in it. There was faith because Abraham believed the Lord will provide. Maybe some of you need to build a little altar in your yard somewhere. And you need to write an inscription on it. The Lord will provide. I don't know. But just yes, know what? Know, know this. Everything God has committed to you. Listen to Romans eight thirty two. God the Father gave his very heart, his everything, his son and sacrifice for you. And he says in Romans 8.32, will he not give you other things along with that? If he's given you the, the greatest thing, why wouldn't he give you these lesser things? He's already given you the greatest thing. He's given you his everything, his only son and sacrifice for you. He has provided for you. He will provide for you. And He is now calling you to join Him in this wild, extravagant, prodigal generosity. Give Him everything. And if you do that, will He call you to a foreign land? Maybe. Will you have to give up your girlfriend or boyfriend? Maybe, if you give Him everything. Will you have to sell all your possessions possessions, and give them away to the poor? Maybe. I mean, if Jesus is really God, He has the right to ask anything of you, doesn't He? He does. Just do it. Just give Him everything. Maybe there's been something you've been white-knuckling, and right now the band's going to come up, they're going to play, there's going to be a song, we're going to begin our worship. But maybe your worship today is a sacrifice You're going to put something on the altar. And maybe it's your whole life. You just need to put it up there on the altar. Lord, my hands, my feet, eyes, my mind, my heart, everything I've I've been withholding from you. You're going to give yourself first to the Lord. Or maybe there's been something you've been white-knuckling. Say, Lord, no, not not my son. I don't want to offer him up to you because you might call him to be a missionary somewhere and I don't want him to leave and go to some foreign land. Or no, I'm going to hang on to this because that's my gift. You gave me this ability. I'm not going to offer that to you. Lord, I make money with it. I have this skill, this ability. I don't want to offer it to you. You might ask me to do something with it I don't want to do. Like serve people somewhere in some crazy land or, or serve down at the homeless shelter or something like that. And No. I mean, it's, it's all in the possibility, right? It's all possibility. If you offer it to God, it's His, right? And He might give it back to you and say, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for offering that. I might call on it sometime. But I'm not calling on it right now. But we've got to be willing to give everything if we're going to be followers of Jesus. That's what He says. So Lord, in the next few moments, I just want to ask that we're willing to lay it all down on the altar to give you everything. Lord Jesus, you know my heart. You know where I stand before you. If there's more, tell me. I'll give it to you now. Lord, tell your people. pray this in Jesus' name. As the song is playing, there's these uh, little things to the side. It says, all to your life. There's a place where you could write what it is that you're offering to God. Your sacrifice. You can write it down, put it in that little bucket. And I hope that by the end of the year that we're going to have a collection of things that have been offered up to God. That maybe we'll have, to, we'll have some little special ceremony where we, we pour it all out in a fire or something and just watch it go up to heaven to God. 
but a, a little collection of offerings, a different kind of offering, our everything. 